Blue foul. We'll take a shot downfield. Remember that for your highlight show tonight. Root back to the corner for Carrington. Intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! This could be a pass. Bryce Bobo down the field for Colorado. Some trickery, Philip Lindsay. Lindsay touchdown buffs. Oliver takes it. Has a big one already. He's got room here. Isaiah Oliver cuts it back. Punter to beat. He does. He'll take it. Touchdown. Who fell? Lots and one to the end zone, caught, touchdown Shea Fields. Out the right hand side, ball is bubbled, picked up by Kenneth Olibode, and he runs it in for the six, touchdown, touchdown Colorado. The defense comes up big again. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede Radio. As always, Adam Munster Tiger, publisher of BuffStampede.com, here with fan correspondent Tyler Ziskin. This is our signing day preview show. We will briefly talk about a couple other football topics, some basketball at the end, but we're going to try to make this mostly about recruiting. Day and a half, Tyler, signing day for the class of 2017. Describe your feeling leading up to that big day for recruiting. I'm uh, just kind of excited to see how the you know how it all shakes out. Um, I don't think we're going to see too many surprises come signing day, one way or the other. Whether it be guys that aren't that don't sign or guys that we weren't expecting to sign, uh, but we do know that there's a ton of talent on this commit list here, and it'll be nice to have them all locked up, get some of these guys on campus in the summer, and uh, get ready to go. Try to try to keep this thing going. Obviously, I don't think we expect a ten win season again next year, but. Putting together a few bowl seasons in a row would be good for this program's long-term health. Yeah, Colorado's coaches have had to be on the defensive a lot more this winter than any other year I can remember. You know, you, you think about how many talented guys are in this class. If a lot of these guys have committed in the last couple of weeks, I think the excitement factor around CU recruiting would be through the roof right now. Um, if at the end of the day you just lose Xavier Newman and Morell Osling III, given how many guys... We're trying to get poached off this commit list. And you can maybe land one of these signing day announcements. I think you got to be uh, smiling ear to ear at the end of signing day. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think this is a testament to getting a lot of these kids early in Texas. I honestly feel like if we weren't able to get Chris Miller, um, Grant Polly, those guys signed up early, we wouldn't be winning these battles with Baylor, Texas, Ole Miss, that kind of stuff, Notre Dame. Schools that are trying to take them away from us now. If we were if we were going head to head with those guys as uncommitted prospects right now, I don't think we would have kept all of them. This should be a fun show. We're going to play a, a version of Commitment Jeopardy with you, Tyler, as the contestant. We've got uh, some signing day announcement predictions to make, and we've got a little men's basketball to talk about after the mailbag. A little house cleaning first here. Joe Tumpkin resigns. He was asked to resign by CU and, and did so last week with that restraining order that his ex-girlfriend had against him being made permanent in the courts. Tumpkin receives two months severance pay for his willingness to resign. 
we talked about this on our last show. Not no need to go into great detail here, but it's kind of exactly how we expected this to play out. Yeah, based on what we had seen in the accusations, I think this was probably how it was going to go, unless we found out for some reason that this was completely bogus. Um, doesn't seem to be the case, so I mean, I think CU did the right thing here. I mean, handled it pretty quickly, pretty swiftly, and. I don't think there was too much debate about what needed to happen. So from that perspective, I think CU did the right thing. Obviously, you don't want to be um, associated with something like this, but there's you know once once it comes up, there's only so much you can do. And I think by and large, CU handled it the right way. Yeah, they had to do this from a football side. I think this is a bigger loss than some people are making it out to be. And I think some people maybe look at the Alamo Bowl and go, "Well, that's when he was in charge of making the calls." Well. Cheeto Bay, Wuze, Akella Witherspoon were hurt. Oklahoma State's really dynamic. It's your first time in a bowl game in a decade. Those kids weren't used to it. There were a lot of factors at play in there. Who knows how much Joe Tumkin calling the place had anything to do with that. And this was a guy, by all accounts, was making halftime adjustments when Jim Levitt was still in town, was very heavily involved in the game planning, has a history as a defensive coordinator. Even if he didn't get that promotion, you still wanted that guy from a football side, obviously, to be on staff. And then... Recruiting, he had those Florida ties. He's the reason Johnny Huntley and Anthony Jewel Meese are at CU. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think it is a big loss, uh, X's and O's wise. Big defensive coach, um, important to this, to what we've done here in the past few years. There's no doubt about that, but, uh, you know, that doesn't really matter in the long run. You gotta do the right thing, and I think they did do that. But we'll see how, uh, how they replace these guys. But yeah, I think Tompkins is gonna be a bigger loss than people wanna admit, um, right now. Shadon Brown hired onto the Buffalo staff from Army. And, and this kind of emphasizes how many loose ends you have got to tie up before these hires are completed. We uh, first reported his hiring last Wednesday, and it wasn't made public in, until this last weekend. Uh, as I had reported a couple times, LSU defensive coordinator Dave Aranda initially recommended Brown to CU. And uh, after interviewing multiple candidates, Brown emerged as a top candidate. This isn't a big name hire um, in terms of naming a cornerbacks coach. I don't know. You're really not going to pull in some guy that everybody's heard of, most likely. Right? Yeah, that's kind of why everyone's like, "Oh, this is this is the wrong thing." We got no one knows about this guy. It's like, okay, yeah, he's a cornerbacks coach. This is how coaching works. You move your way up the ranks. Someone is always the first to hire someone you've heard of. You know, <laughs> just because he hasn't done it before doesn't mean he can't be successful. He coached on a Really talented Army defense, um, one of the highest-ranked secondaries in the country. Uh, that's got to matter. I mean, Army is a program that traditionally is awful in football, and for the first time in a long time, they've been good. And Shadon Brown was, again, there for a part of that move up the ranks. Uh, you would have to feel good about that, I would think, if you were CU fans. I think people are overreacting a little bit to what this hire means for the program. I think he's a young he's a young guy who's um, proven to have some recruit, recruiting success, excuse me, sorry, in the past. I think he is exactly what McIntyre was looking for, and I think people should give him a chance to prove himself here. I and mean, we've had a lot of young coaches move up the ranks at Colorado that have done big things. I like this better than if you were to bring in, you know, somebody that's like in semi-retirement, like a Greg Brown, no offense to him, but, you know, an older guy that's been around – I would, and it's not, he's not as green as uh, promoting a graduate assistant. So you at least have, he's coached at Wofford for five years before Army. So, yeah, you know, not the lengthiest of resumes, but uh, at least a guy that's got his feet wet in terms of being a quarterback's coach in college. He's set to make 200 grand in salary per Brian Howell. Charles Clark made 
185k last year, so a little bump there. The salary pool has increased. We saw DJ Elliott is the highest paid coordinator in CU history. That's kind of the way things are trending. But yeah, you still can't pay a coordinator 1.2. You know, like no, yeah, that's just not going to happen. So <laughs> you know, it, it is what it is. Um, maybe down the line, if we see some success, 10 years, we start selling out football games. You know, that kind of stuff works its way up, and you become a bigger program. But we got to be realistic about where we are right now. We've had one good season in the last 10 years. Trajan Cotton to Oregon State. Very interesting recruitment there. He was somebody that C was actually the first to offer him a scholarship. But in the months of December and January, they were slow playing him. There were some other guys they liked. It didn't work out with those guys. Emmanuel Flowers is one of them that they liked really late in the process. But uh, kind of a... An example that relationships and then how hard, how long you've been recruiting a guy sometimes pays off. Oregon State seemed to go all in on him. You saw during one of their in-home visits, didn't they have like six or seven assistant coaches there? Yeah, and he's got a bunch of people that he played with growing up there as well. Isaiah Hodgins, former Washington State commit, um, is going to Oregon State as well, and I'm pretty sure they played on seven, same seven-on-seven team. Um, so, yeah, he's got a lot of connections there. And, yeah, I mean, Oregon State, I think, went after him harder. Uh, I would have liked to see Trey John on the commit list. But to be honest, I mean, he, his rec- <laughs> he's, he liked the attention for sure throughout the process. It was always kind of hard to get a true read on how many of these schools were recruiting him hard or if he was just trying to pump his name out there, which, I mean, I understand trying to do, obviously. But, uh, yeah, I, I'm not 100% sure how sold the staff was on him Long term. Yeah, it was kind of back and forth in that sense. Yeah. I like Trajan. He seemed like a really good kid every time I talked to him. But when I got to unfollow him yesterday, there was a big sigh of relief <laughs> let out by me. It's just a little bit too much, a little over the top. Yeah, he's he's kind of uh, the perfect example as to why I don't follow anybody until they commit. Uh, <laughs> for this specific reason, because I just don't want to see what everybody else does. So if they're committed... To see you, I'll follow them. But until then, I just kind of watch from afar. I wish I could do that. <laughs> yeah. Noah Ellis, in-state nose tackle prospect from Valor Christian, plans to sign with Mississippi State. As we've uh, reported, talked about before, most likely junior college bound. And I pointed this out on the board. It's kind of a flaw in the recruiting ranking system is that Mississippi State's going to get credit for signing this four-star blue chip defensive tackle recruit. And yet, there's a 95% chance he's going the JUCO route, which makes him yeah, I mean, a free agent again. It's hard, Yeah, it's hard to fix that flaw, though, I guess. I mean, they do the updated rankings kind of when school starts, you know? Like, they'll update the team rankings. So, those are the ones that I wish people paid attention to more. Yeah. The signing day ones, yeah, you're right. I mean, a lot of times, they're, they're more than just him around the country. There will be guys who sign that have no chance of actually attending that school at, the, at that time, at least. And another former CU target that committed elsewhere over the weekend, Samuel Barnes, to UTSA. He's going to be a roadrunner. Talking about interesting recruitments, his was definitely there. Academic concerns, we'll see if he gets qualified. Uh, But I really hope Sam Barnes gets qualified because just his potential and ability, when you look at the raw materials he has moving over defensive back, it's pretty impressive. Yeah, that's kind of, this is going to be terrible to say, but that's kind of why I hope he doesn't. Because I think if he goes to junior college, gets it all figured out, he could be like a, I think he could be a five-star junior college player coming back out into um, the college ranks. So it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I really love his potential. 
Uh, obviously, you can go to the draft too from UTSA. That's a program that's improving for sure. But I think he's the type of player that you could see on a big time program making a big time impact in meaningful late season bowl games, stuff like that down the line. David Noth, a long snapper, sixth ranked long snapper in the country, Tyler, is coming to Boulder as a preferred walk on. Uh, I don't know how you. Uh, I guess yeah. you have to evaluate Chris, those things with a stopwatch or something. It's kind of hard. Chris to, Saylor is a saint. Going around the country. Well, he's the kicking guy. It's Chris Rubio that does the snapping. Oh, oh Rubio. Sorry. I thought they, I thought they both did. Either, either way, <laughs> if you're going around the country ranking long snappers, you really got to love the craft. So respect for that. So, and uh, I think he's only the second preferred walk-on we know so far. Curtis Cheverini, mm-hmm. of course. Darren Sun. And I actually have a story all ready to go on him for after signing day. Let's get into some signing day announcement predictions here, Tyler. And let's start it with the big one here. Josh Follow, a four-star tight end prospect from Intercom High School in the Sacramento area, set to announce between Colorado, USC, Oregon, Alabama, and Ohio State. He was initially going to commit before signing day, but he sent out this tweet last night. It reads, instead of committing on January 30th, I will be committing on National Signing Day. I will not take any phone calls from coaches due to, due to the hard thought process and how sick I am. Thank you. So what does that lead you to believe, Tyler? I don't really know. Um, I guess he's more conflicted than I guess we thought. Maybe uh, we have been here. Or he's just sick and he doesn't want to yeah, be in front of a bunch of people while he's sneezing yeah. and coughing yeah. and whatever. That's fine. Yeah, I mean that could be it as well. Um, we have heard throughout the process, kind of that depending on which school you ask, they felt really good about him. So. I don't think he's really playing games or anything. I just think he's general, genuinely conflicted about what he wants to do. Um, the family ties here, uh, I think, is what making it's what making it difficult for him right now. I think he really knows what he wants to do, but um, getting over those family ties with his brother here and obviously his I think his other brother, right, his oldest brother, played for McIntyre at San Jose State. Yeah, he was recruited there. Nate Nate Follow is his name, and. Uh, and what really endeared the family to Mike McIntyre and the staff was the fact that Nate blew out his knee and all these other schools went running and San Jose State, Mike McIntyre, those guys were the ones that stuck by him. And so I think that even though Mike McIntyre left San Jose State before he you know, got to coach his the, the oldest follow brother that much, the fact that he took a chance on him and got him that college scholarship is what that family initially really bought in with Mike McIntyre and then NJ, you know, getting his second chance too. Yeah, you know? definitely. I mean, it seems to have taken every advantage of it as well, which is good to see because that was not the smartest decision ever. Um, and to see him kind of bounce back. He actually thought he played pretty well once he came back last year as well. So I think, I think down the line he has a chance to be a really productive player for our defense. So I mentioned the finalists there, the five of them that officially are on his list. It's coming down to Colorado and USC. Um, I would be shocked if it's any of those other three. In fact, yeah, no, it's just not happening. It's going to be Colorado or USC. I was ready to make the USC prediction. I still kind of want to do that, but now the way he kind of worded that tweet last night has me second guessing myself. I definitely am going to be predicting him to go to USC. I think that's really what his heart, what he wants to do. Um, We've been hearing a lot of rumblings that direction for the past week here. around the way, so uh, usually as it gets this close, we have a pretty good idea that somebody is coming, kind of same thing with Trajan Cotton, we hadn't heard a lot of 
a whole lot of noise around that before leading up to it, and I feel the same way here. I think he's going to end up at USC probably. All right. Are we going to just do one official Buff Stampede prediction as long as we agree with it? I think that's probably the yeah, best way to go. So we'll, we'll, we can split I'm on board enough with you, even though I'm second-guessing a little bit. I'll go I'll go USC. That, that works. So USC for Josh Follow. Casey Roddick, the third-ranked guard prospect in California. He goes to St. Bonaventure High School in Los Angeles. He's set to announce between Cal, Colorado, San Diego State, and Utah on signing day. Definitely an interesting recruitment. Looked like he was going to be a buff after attending the barbecue. He got some advice from his high school coaches to take his time with the process. Well, Colorado filled up on the O-line, at least for the time being. So he commits to Cal. He saw it there. They do the strange thing of firing Sonny Dykes really late in the game. Was It It wasn't January quite yet, was it? Uh, I don't remember exactly. But it was a lot later than Somewhere around the year, yeah. yeah. Later than you would expect. So he decommits because he basically... Which is probably not the best strategy. He committed to the old O-line coach who didn't get retained there. So he's back on the market. Then Xavier Newman flips to Baylor. And Colorado all of a sudden has an opening for an offensive lineman. And uh, they connect. And we'll see. He hasn't announced anything officially. But in terms of a prediction, what are you thinking, Tyler? Uh, I feel pretty good about him going to Colorado. Um, that's we The chatter we've heard seems to be leading that direction. He doesn't have a whole lot of relationship with Utah or San Diego State from what we've seen along the process, so that would be surprising there, um, either one of those two. Obviously, you could always go back to Cal, but that's an unusual move. Um, usually when a kid decommits, that's the, the end of it. I know that's not always the case. Alex Perry obviously left ASU and then ended up mm-hmm. going back there, so it does happen, but I, I think the, the smart money would be on him ending up on the bus commit list. I'm firmly on board with you and your prediction there, so... We'll say Casey Roddick to Colorado. Next up, Damian Daniels, a three-star prospect, a nose tackle recruit from Dallas, will be announcing between UTSA, Nebraska, and Colorado on Wednesday on ESPNU around 9 a.m. Mountain Time. What are you thinking here? Uh, well, we felt pretty good about him for a while, uh, but we have not heard, again, we have not heard much about Damian Daniels in the last two or three weeks here, which... I heard something. Was, <laughs> fair enough. Which leads me to believe he's not coming here. Uh, my, my assumption is he's also not going to UTSA, so I guess my prediction has to be Nebraska, sadly. All right. He is uh, no longer in the group chat. So... There you go. Nebraska. That's all you need to know. Chris Miller, a three-star prospect from Denton, Texas, has been verbally committed to Colorado since the summer, but then he took other official visits to Ole Miss and Baylor. Texas also offered him as a slot receiver. He never did end up visiting Austin. He has yet to comment publicly on his choice as of Monday afternoon. That's when we're recording this. Uh, What are your thoughts here? Uh, I feel like there would have been a switch if there was going to be one at this point. I honestly felt pretty good about Chris Miller all along. Um, if he does kind of give Morel Austin crap and end up switching himself, that would be kind of, kind of sad in my opinion. Um, but I, I hope he's a buff for sure because he's one of my favorite kids in the class. Uh, obviously a lot of big schools going after him, Texas, Baylor, Ole Miss, Notre Dame. I mean, those are teams that you're going to have to battle down the stretch for sure. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. It just seems like seems like the kid has the, the right head on his shoulders, and I think he's going to end up sticking with Colorado. Yeah, I think it helps getting Shadon Brown, even being very late in the process, still hired, so he at least knows 
who's going to be his position coach and has had an opportunity to have a conversation with him. And, and uh, Cheverini has done a good job of, of trying to keep him on the boat, and I think he will at the end of the day. I think Chris Miller sticks, so I agree with you there. We're on board here. So, so far, to recap, Josh Fala, we think, is going to USC. Casey Roddick, we think, is going to Colorado. Damian Daniels, Daniels, we think, is going to Nebraska. And we're thinking that Chris Miller will most likely stick with the Buffaloes. Clavon Chason, five-star recruit from Texas, arguably the nation's best pass rusher from the class of 2017, is going to announce between LSU, Florida, Colorado, and Texas Presumably on signing day, although uh, I don't believe he has said publicly exactly how he's announcing yet. Have you seen anything? No, on that? I haven't noticed anything. Uh, <laughs> I think it's pinned tweet on Twitter right now. Something like, as soon as he goes to college, he's removing everybody from it. <laughs> so social that. media. I was like, all right, man, geez. <laughs> it's been interesting to follow his recruitment the last few weeks, that's for sure. Yes, definitely. Uh, well, what, what are your thoughts on the... Uh, the club that he was at in Florida. Oh, well, he, he, uh, he was, pretty quick, he was pretty quick to deny that, so I guess that was I mean, more, they're, more it's of pretty a, clear that they're un, unclosed, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I guess we'll see. Um, yeah, I guess if I had to, I don't think he's going to Florida. He's not um, going to Florida. Yeah. He's He's views himself as a pass rusher in a 3-4. They run a 4-3. It's just yeah. not a fit. Um, Texas, it didn't seem like he loved that visit all that much either, honestly. He's surprised. I was kind of surprised by his reaction to Texas. So I guess it's down to LSU and Colorado, but I don't think he's, <laughs> he's from everything we've read, he's probably ending up at LSU. <laughs> but what, that did, what did you think about surprise. the LSU coaches showing up at 4 a.m. before he left for his flight to the Florida visit? That's their job, is it not? I mean, everyone's like, oh, that's creepy. It's like, okay, this is your job is to literally recruit these kids to come to school. Like, that's the kind of stuff that you need to do, in my eyes. So you're saying LSU? Yeah, that's my answer. See, I actually think that his trip to Colorado surpassed his uh, expectations so much that Colorado is not going to land him, but is going to nudge LSU out. And I'm going to say he actually takes Texas. So we're going to differ on this one. Um, and actually, finally, good. <laughs> do, if you want me to be 100% honest with you, I hope I'm wrong here. I would rather him go to LSU because. Ever since I got death threats from a couple of Texas fans back in 2008, I don't have you really high esteem so. <laughs> for that that fan base and just their arrogance. You mean reading some of their their analysts just talking in such a cocky tone about how Chase Owens is soft verbal and blah blah blah. And it's like I don't know, just the way they come off in terms of their reporting. It goes back to the whole Daryl Scott saga. So yeah, I hope you're right there. And again, I could see one in the big, uh, big uh, Ed Orgeron. I hope he signs with us. Though that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what? I don't even. I don't even know what uh, type of reaction nationally that would get if if you pick Colorado. That'd be pretty, pretty shocking. I would say. All right, Nick Ford, a two-way lineman from San Pedro, California, set to announce between Colorado, Utah, Cal, and Washington on signing day around two ten. PM Mountain Time. He said for everyone to come meet him at the flagpole, Tyler. That's where he's going to announce, apparently. Oh, I thought okay. the flagpole is where you go to like call somebody out for a fight. <laughs> Maybe that's what he's going to do. He's going to have four guys in sweatshirts. Rum Royal Royal Rumble, whoever ends up winning, that's who he sides with. Well, you better hope that Colorado guy has got some muscle to him. Yeah, man. We're going to have to go recruit somebody out there. <laughs> So I have no idea what's happening here, so feel free to take the lead. <laughs> I haven't you know, I've only anymore. talked to Nick Ford once really briefly, and there hasn't been rumblings about him picking Colorado. So 
I'm pretty sure he's not coming to Colorado. I think he's going to go to Utah or Washington. I think he likes Washington the most, but they're recruiting him as an offensive lineman, and he wants to be a defensive lineman. Utah is recruiting him as a defensive lineman. I mean, if you're, if you're a defensive lineman, Utah is certainly a program that you should have some interest in. Yeah. I and mean, they churn out NFL caliber D linemen year in and year out. This is 100%, 100% speculation on my part. I think Washington will come back and say, like, you know what, we'll just bring you in and we'll try you on both sides of the ball. And I think he ends up with the Huskies, but that's really low confidence prediction. I don't really know definitively. All right, I'll just say Utah so that we can be different. Okay, there you go. Terrence Lang, very intriguing uh, three-star, really a big athlete prospect from Pasadena, has been verbally committed to USC since December, but he took an official visit out to Colorado last weekend has not made a final announcement yet. What kept Colorado in the game was just very, being very persistent about because he's got uh, he's kind of an academic risk. He has a good chance of qualifying, but Colorado has really pushed. Hey, we've got a plan for you. We're going to get you qualified. We're going to keep you qualified when you get on campus. Darian Hagan's done a really good job of recruiting him. But at the end of the day, it's going to be hard for him to turn away from USC. There were some rumblings out there that they were going to drop him. I'm hearing that's not the case. I mean, I definitely know that they want him in their class. I think it's just a matter of do they get a few of these other guys that pushes him out. I mean, I know for a fact that they want him. So uh, we'll see how that goes. I and mean, with the academic risk thing, we, we reported that he's going to have a meeting with their coaches. That doesn't necessarily spell the best news for him, I would say, <laughs> at this point in the process. Um, so I think there's a chance definitely that he ends up at Colorado, but if there's a space for him at USC, I think that's where he, he okay. will stay there. I'm fine with making that the official prediction then, USC. Um, he, he's fun to watch on tape. He's such a big guy, and usually guys his size are just kind of awkward moving. And it's not to say he's the most fluid guy in the world, but he's out there as a tight end catching passes and turning up field, and uh, he could really – Factor in on either side of the ball, whether it's uh, developing it into an offensive tackle or being a defensive lineman. I like his film quite a bit. What do you know anything else from USC? Just kind of what they like about him? They just think he's a freak. Honestly, I mean, my, my obviously my brother again. We talk about this a lot. Is one is our recruiting coordinator there, and he is in love with Terrence Lang. So he will be pissed if he doesn't go to USC. I know that. All right, next up, Nate Landman, the NorCal and Bay Area Defensive Player of the Year in 2016, has been verbally committed to Colorado since last summer. But Justin Wilcox and his new staff there at Cal has made a late run at him. He was in Berkeley on a visit this past weekend. I'm hearing that he's most likely going to stick, but that's the local school. they got a new coach, probably some excitement around there in Berkeley. What are your thoughts here? Uh, I mean, I hope he stays because I think – He's a monster. I um, mean, you don't get to be NorCal Defensive Player of the Year by being average. So um, I think he's a guy that hasn't talked a whole lot about the board on, on the boards or just among CU fans in general. But I think he has a chance to be really special at linebacker for us. So I do hope that he sticks. Um, we didn't hear a whole lot. That's because he's a super quiet kid. Yeah. He doesn't do much on social media. Yeah, I thought we were going to hear maybe more about from the Cal publishers about how that went down. If he was really thinking about it, we haven't. Well, I know that my calls go straight to voicemail, so that's probably what's happening with them as well. Oh, okay. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> and he is, uh, yeah, again, quiet kid. And even when you watch his film, it's not super flashy. He's not the guy taking people's heads off, but he's super 
uh, a super sure tackler. He's a guy that has good length, versatility. Uh, you would be very disappointed if he's not in this class. Or, so we'll make the official prediction that he sticks with Colorado? Colorado, yeah. All right. Jared Poplowski, three-star tight end prospect from Scottsdale. Goes to Saguaro High School there. He's been verbally committed to Arizona State for a while now. But the Sun Devils don't have an offense coordinator or tight ends coach right now, so he decided to take a trip to Boulder last weekend. It's kind of an interesting dynamic here. There's the uncertainty with the, the offensive staff at Arizona State. But he's got three Saguaro teammates that are verbally committed. It's going to be hard for him to kind of pull away from that peer pressure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it is kind of interesting with the <laughs> kind of similar to our defensive staff right now. Um, just a lot of open holes on the offensive side. But at least Colorado's got a new defense coordinator at um, the time. I, for some reason, I have... No, right. I mean, yeah. For some reason, I have a feeling he's going to be <laughs> going to Colorado. I have, no, yeah, really? okay. I have no idea why. It just seems like he's been really quiet about the whole thing. and um, I don't know. Just Something something is pushing me to say that he's going to end up at Colorado somehow. Okay. So another situation where he's not doing interviews right now. And I don't have much of a sense. I don't have a reason to say Colorado, but you seem uh, to have a gut feeling over here, Tyler. Let's roll with that. And at least give some people a lot of optimism. There's a lot of guys we're predicting to go elsewhere on this go list bus. here. All right, Jerry Poplowski. It would be like you, when I first started going to Colorado, or tight ends were Joel Kloppenstein and Quincy Pnewski. I need some sweet names like that back in my tight end ranks. All right, next up. Jalen Sammy, a late emerging CU nose tackle target from Colorado Springs, was in Boulder this past weekend. Received an offer from Mike McIntyre then. Really interesting recruiting process. He's got Northern Colorado and CSU Pueblo offers. Then Jim Jeffcoat takes over the Colorado Springs area recruiting. Goes down there. Is looking for 2018 recruits. Just stumbles upon Jalen Sammy in the hallway. It's like, who is this kid? Starts talking to his coach. They bring him up to Boulder. They offer him. And it looks like 100% he's set to go to Boulder. And then randomly, today, news breaks that he gets an Ole Miss offer. Makes sense now why Colorado waited to bring him out that last weekend. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I guess that's why you play it safe. Some of these, you know, you never know. Ole Miss seems to be following us around a little bit lately. I guess they decided we know what we're talking about. Yeah, I mean, that's... Pretty random for them to have found Jalen Sammy <laughs> at this point. So there's really no other explanation other than, oh, Colorado offered him. We better find out about this kid. Uh, similar to Chris Miller, they finally, I guess, decided Chris Miller was worth their time too. But, um, yeah, I mean, good for him. Really late in the process, getting an Ole Miss and a Colorado offer compared to maybe ending up at Northern Colorado. So, I mean, it's probably been a really exciting couple of weeks for him. And good news for the Buffaloes is the fact that it's a dead period now. So he can't go visit Ole Miss. Now he could theoretically not sign on signing day and then take his time, go visit Ole Miss. Usually you only see like blue chip guys be able to have that ability to do that. Mm -hmm. If you're Colorado, you had faith in offering him before you brought him on an official visit. If he waits past signing day to sign, it's going to rub you the wrong way a little bit, no? I guess. I mean, we found him pretty late as well. <laughs> so, it's, yeah, you can't really blame him uh, if he's... You know, it's getting all this late attention. I guess you got to do what's best for you. I, I would, it would be hard pressed to say, "Oh yeah, that rubs me the wrong way." Because I mean, honestly, we didn't know anything about him until a week ago. So, in terms of making a prediction here, 
I would still say he ends up in Colorado. Okay. I think so, too. I think the in-state factor, the fact that he's got a chance to visit. And, again, not many kids wait till after signing day. I remember Alex Kozan doing that, and that worked out okay for him. But you just really don't hear that happening very often. And it sounded like when I talked to Jalen Sammy after his visit, it just came down to him basically wanting to pray you know, with his family before making that decision. It's cool, though, for him to get that SEC offer, and I think it, you know, there's a very small faction of the fan base that is just gloms on to, well, who else offered him? Well, in this case, now if you take a Jalen Sammy, those people aren't going to be as loud. Yeah, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> Usually they find ways to get around that. All right, They're so agenda fitters. <laughs> our, our official prediction is that Jalen Sammy will sign with Colorado. We'll yes. see how that shakes out. Is there a breaking news there, Tyler? It's my brother. You can see. Any? Uh, let's get some on-the-air Terrence Lang updates. Actually, he says, no, you can't have Terrence Lang either. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I guess that tells so you. So no breaking news, but uh, a little brother rivalry going on over recruits. He's talking trash over here. <laughs> Told him he can't stay. So he's coming to visit me as soon as signing day is over. He'll be here this upcoming weekend. And I told him he's got to sleep on the roof. <laughs> he doesn't <laughs> let me have Josh Fowler and Terrence Lake. <laughs> That's funny. Last guy here, Jalen Harris, three-star pass rusher from the Grand Canyon State, has been verbally committed to Arizona. Just happens to be his father's alma mater. But he's taken a lot of other official visits. Uh, took a trip to Colorado, of course, Washington, Illinois. And then he was at Notre Dame this past weekend. You certainly would love for him to be a part of this class. He looks like a more polished Jimmy Gilbert in mm-hmm. terms of on film in high school. But, again, we're not hearing a lot of buzz here from Colorado side. Yeah, yeah I mean, uh, we haven't heard a lot of buzz in general about him. Uh, I feel like Arizona, for some reason, is just going to have a lot of crazy turnover. <laughs> like There's going to be a few guys signing with him that we don't expect, a few guys going elsewhere. Um, I guess my prediction for him is going to be Notre Dame, just to be out on the limb. Yeah, I think Notre Dame or Arizona, and there's that family pull, but I mean, he went on four visits. It's not like you just looked around for a minute. He was like full-on reopening his recruitment, kind mm-hmm. of. And Rich Rodriguez being on the hot seat. Yeah, I think last visit being Notre Dame, one of the more prestigious schools after him. So I'm on board with your prediction there. So kind of a mixed bag here. The guys we expect, Casey Roddick, Chris Miller to stick, Terrence Lang, no, we didn't. We stuck with USC on that one, didn't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Nate Landman, we think he's gonna stick. Though the one where we got we got out there on on the limb was Jared Poplowski, and that was just Tyler's gut feeling. So yeah. we'll see. Oh, and then uh, Jalen Sammy, of course. Sammy. So monster. He's like Loch Ness monster, just this huge guy, huge beast that no one's ever seen before. <laughs> Are you ready to have some fun, Mr. Tyler Ziskin? Yeah, let's see what you got for me here. Colorado commitment. Jeopardy! I gotta remember how, I gotta like remind myself that I have to actually answer these questions the way they're supposed to be done. I gotta turn my laptop over a little bit so you don't cheat here. Okay. We're gonna play Colorado commitment Jeopardy. Tyler is the contestant. And you get the majority of these right, Tyler. I'll buy you some lunch at uh, GQ before our next podcast. That is the greatest prize that has ever been given to me in my life. GQ, I love you. I guess I'll play the role of Alex Trebek here. All right. I see the resemblance. This future buff 
is nicknamed the Mile High Mauler. <laughs> Jake Moretti. <laughs> what? Who is Jake Moretti? See? Who is Jake Moretti? You are right. All right. I didn't actually know that, but I guess there isn't a whole lot of other options. What if it, what if it was Jalen Sammy and you just totally tripped me? It was not. <laughs> because uh, Jalen Tammy is not committed, so he would not be technically a future buff quite yet. Okay. But that was a nickname given to him by his trainer, Matt McChesney, who uh, calls him the best offensive line in the state of Colorado has produced since Tony Baselli. So we'll see if that holds true. That would be awesome. Not the highest rank, because Ryan Miller yeah, is a five star. higher, yeah. All right, up next. This buff, who signed with the Buffaloes last February, but did not enroll at CU until January, owned a 365-pound bench max in high school, and he's a certified rescue scuba diver. Jeez. <laughs> so, read between the lines there. Somebody yeah, that signed. There's, there's two gray shirts. I know. Um, who is Chance Lytle? Kobe Purcell. Ah, the other one. This future buff was the second prospect from the class of 2017 to verbally commit to Colorado's coaches, but he was actually the first to announce it. Oh, man, I don't remember which was which. First to announce, who is Dante Sparaco? Nope, Jonathan oh. Van Deest. You better start uh, rallying here if you want to get some GQ in that belly, Tyler. Yeah. This buff led Charlton High School to a state championship in 2013 and he's the son son of Dewey Chisholm. That's his father's name, Dewey Chisholm. What high school? <laughs> Charlton High School. Dewey Chisholm? <laughs> I so want he's a, still on the team. I, right I now. want a friend named Dewey Chisholm. Is he on the team? So Adam Munster Tiger and Dewey Chisholm is still on the team right the now. Red, but what? He's still on the team right now. No, in 2013. So you kind of decipher a little bit there. If he did that in 2013, he'd probably a JUCO guy, right? Oh, I thought we were talking. I, mean, I guess he could have done that as a freshman or whatever. But yeah, I, I, he could just be on the team currently. So it's a kid in this class. This buff. He's already on campus. Dewey Chisholm. Chris, <laughs> who is Chris Malumba? No. <laughs> It's Dante Wigley. Oh Jesus, that's amazing. Yeah, it's it's. I don't and I don't mean disrespect. I just think that's it's an a awesome dope name. name. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next one. Which future buff is this evaluation from a scout analyst on? One of the most versatile defensive linemen in the West Region, he lines up across the defensive line and shows the ability to rush off the edge or move inside and cause havoc at the tackle position. You need to like pull up the commit list. I know I do. Two hundred pulleys off my off the top of my head. And I hope all of you are playing at home because Tyler's taking forever with these answers. I know, I'm sorry. Yeah, I do need the commit list in front of me. I don't know. Inside outside guy. Yeah, versatile defensive lineman. I don't know. I can't. It's, I'm blanking. Jake, Jacob Cowley. Oh, damn it. Yeah, of course. Right, we're one yes, uh, four no. I'm, so I'm far. falling apart here. This future buff was born in Scottsdale before moving to California, and his father played safety at the University of Hawaii. This is harder than I thought it was going to be. I thought <laughs> you would just wrap this up. <laughs> oh, really? I don't know where these kids came from. 
Um, so he's a California product. His dad yeah. played safety. Nate Landman. Nope, Tyler Lytle. Damn. All right, you're going to rally here. i got confidence in you. You're going to get this one, Tyler. This future buff averaged more than 12 yards per rushing attempt and nearly 18 yards per reception during his senior campaign. Very versatile guy offensively. Who is Katie Nixon? Yes, you got that one. Yeah. Back, All right. on the, back on the grind here. This buff, already in campus, plans to study neuroscience at CU. Wow. It's one of the early enrollees. Yeah. Neuroscience. Man. Who is Isaiah Lewis? Dante Sparacco. Oh, wow. Good for you, Dante. <laughs> Fun fact on Sparacco, his uh, father, Dino, played linebacker at Montana State. His grandfather, Mike Sparacco, also played college football and is a member of the College Wrestling Hall of Fame. His uh, grandfather went on to coach a high school team in New Mexico for 24 years and was actually the 1993 New Mexico High School Coaches Association Football Coach of the Year. Shout out Mike Sparacco. This buff was born in Brooklyn, and he's lived in uh, two different countries, and he's now lived in six different states in the United States during his life. Two different countries? He was born in Brooklyn. Man, I don't know anything about these kids' personal lives, I guess. Uh, He's on campus, right? He's a JUCO guy. Yeah. Who is Javier Edwards? No, uh, Shamar Hamilton. Oh, okay. This buff was a multi-dimensional player in high school, having played running back, wide receiver, cornerback, and safety. He missed the majority of his senior season with a shoulder injury, however. He says he loves maple donuts, going on hikes, but he, quote, loves his family more. Who is Isaiah Lewis? There you go. You got one. Okay. So here's, here's a, a tip. I don't, I don't think there's any female CU students that listen to our podcast, but if there is, and you want to make a play at Isaiah Lewis, you show up to his dorm room with some maple donuts, and you're going to seal the deal. Someone, had, someone brought voodoo to work the other day, and there was a bacon donut in there. And, but it's, no one ever ate it. It's just sitting there all crusty and old. Okay. What's up with a bacon donut? Isn't that a little ridiculous? You know, with things involving bacon, I will not knock it <laughs> until I try it. <laughs> I've, you know, you've done the chocolate-covered bacon at Coors Field, and it was kind of underrated. But I can't think of anything else that I've ever had that has bacon that I didn't like. So. Okay. I mean, I like bacon, but I'm not sure I want it on my donut. I don't really like donuts that much either. Maybe that's the problem. So you don't have a go-to donut? Um, I guess I would say is apple fritter count. I don't think it really does, but I actually I like apple fritters. family. I like apple fritters more than donuts. Okay. You know, I'm a Boston cream guy. Fair enough. A little rich, though. You don't really feel very good after eating yeah, them. Yeah, I'm not. I'm just, they're too sugary for me. I don't love donuts. All right, let's move along here. You're, you're coming back a little bit. You got some ground to make up here, Tyler. I do. This future buff received offers from eight different Texas colleges. Baylor, Houston, North Texas, TCU, Texas, Texas State, Texas Tech, and UTSA. The Texas offer did not come until late in the process. There are two options here. Who is Chris Miller? Grant Paul. Ah, yeah, that was the other one. Damn it. 
All right, next one. This future buff offensive lineman received his first offer from Colorado before receiving 14 more offers during the spring evaluation period. You really got to pull that's, up that commit list on your phone, Tyler. Oh, that's, I want you to get this GQ, to man. Fair enough. I got I to gotta, um, open it up here. Okay. Gotcha. I'm ready. What do you think, Tyler? Um, that one's got to be who is Will Sherman. Right. Good job. That's four that you've gotten correct now. We won't get into how many you've gotten incorrect at this point. We'll just try to keep your morale up. <laughs> this future buff is originally from Lafayette, Louisiana. Huh. You can Lafayette, look at that, Louisiana. You can look at that commit list. It's not going to show Lafayette on there. He's a rich yeah, guy. I know, I know, I know. So I'm you can decipher that's I'm, probably I'm, a Juco I'm, guy, right? I suppose. Who is... Oh, man. Kevin George. You got it. Yes. Which buff can play the cello, violin, oh, I piano? Can't. This one I know. Who is Chance <laughs> Mendelin. Yes, you're right. I've given him much crap about the cello throughout my years. Chance Lytle composes music and lyrics, and he's. Uh, I didn't know this. They have all region teams for the choir and orchestra, which he was both a member of. Man, Texas is weird. Now he's not. Now, maybe this gives him a little bit more credit from you, Tyler. He's also trained in boxing. Uh, his grandfather actually was an Army Golden Gloves champion, and his other grandfather is in the Army Air Corps Hall of Fame because he owns numerous aviation records. Quite the family. That that, that is actually pretty awesome. And they actually, he's, a, he's an interesting cat for sure. I mean, they, he was at that <laughs> camp we were at, just like hearing him talk. He's just he's a strange cat. <laughs> What's interesting, too, is his last name used to be spelled L-I-T-L-E, but his family changed it because people were mispronouncing it and not calling him Lytle. They were calling him Little. Um, so, fun facts here for you. Indeed. You're making a little bit of a comeback yeah, here. a couple in a row here. Go me. This future buff posed for a picture with Mike McIntyre with a sign in the background that read, Beef, it's what's for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> True story. Um, who is? <laughs> oh man, who is? <laughs> I'm gonna say who is who is Javier Edwards. No, that's actually a really good guess. <laughs> Damn, it's Carson Wells. Oh, and if yeah. you if you oh yeah, it's it's the the stupid farm fence picture. It's a, yes. it's it says Wells Family Enterprises. It's, it's yeah. his family's farm. So don't hate on it too much. I think I I'm not hating cool. on it. I just thought the picture was hilarious. <laughs> I thought for sure you were gonna get that one because that's the first thing I saw when I saw the in home visit like oh, picture. I was yeah. like, this is amazing. All right. You were making a comeback, and now you're trending in the other direction here, Tyler. So let's see. I gotta get hot. This future buff had a four-game stretch as a senior where he accounted for 654 yards, including more than 500 receiving yards and five touchdown catches. Who is Lavisca Chenault? No, Maurice Bell. Damn. He finished his senior season with more than a thousand receiving yards. It was quite the four-game stretch there. Which future buff? 
is this evaluation from a scout analyst on. Possesses good top end speed, verified by a laser timed 4-5 second 40, as well as excellent close quarter agility, including a 4.1 second shuttle time. Those numbers translate to the field as do his versatility. Yeesh. What were the numbers again? He's a 4-5 laser timed and a 4-1 uh, shuttle time. We've already done Katie Nixon, Maurice Bell. Uh, who is Jalen Jackson? No, Chris Miller. I thought we did Chris Miller already. You guessed wrong on Chris Miller oh, earlier. Oh, damn. With all the Texas offers. Which future buff is too live, according to his Twitter handle? <laughs> who is the position? Right. That one, I don't know. And if you want to give him a follow, it's at Visca2Live. This future buff has a father that played Pac-12 football for one of CU's Pac-12 South rivals. Who is Heston Page? Right. Yeah. His father, Bill Page, played offensive tackle at UCLA after a standout high school career at Wheat Ridge High School. All right, how far down am I? So, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, right. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Ah, oh. yeah. all right. I gotta, I gotta, I think I gotta get them all then, right? You got enough, but you gotta make a comeback here. This future buff enjoyed a tw total of 24 wins with his high school team as a junior and senior, including a California Open Division State Championship in 2015. Okay. Who is Chase Newman? Right. Yes. You needed that. That was big. That was big. <laughs> this one might be tough. We'll see. This buff played football for the Roosters in 2012. The Roosters. Wow. He's already on campus. That's my decided. Who decided that? The Roosters. All right. Who is Chris Malumba? Boom. Yes. You're up to 10 right, 11 Chris wrong. Chris Malumba seemed like a rooster. Chris Malumba was a Helsinki rooster, the founding member of the American Football Association of Finland. Word. You get this one, you've evened it up. This future buff told me during an interview, quote, I love the pads. When I put on those pads, I feel like a gladiator. I feel like I'm putting on my armor. It makes me feel indestructible. Okay, this has got to be Sebastian Olber. Who is right. Sebastian Olber? Yes. That was him talking about his transition from rugby to football and how much he enjoys. Yeah, uh, I actually remember that. That was big. That was big. I'm back. This future buff led his high school team to a NCS Division I CIF championship in 2016. NCS, that makes, Northern that makes California. California, yeah. Um, who is... Nate Landman, because I did yes. Nate Lewis already. Yeah, okay, okay. <laughs> Monta Vista won the title game there handily by 24 points. Final Jeopardy here. You get this right, Tyler. Get within three on this number. Okay. And I'll give it to you. So give or take three here. Of the 24 players on the Buffalo's commitment list at the taping of this, how many were verbally committed to Colorado before the start of the 2016 football season? And no, you can't look at your phone. Ooh. So how many of those 24 guys were on board with the rise before the rise was real? Okay, so can I count out of my head here? Absolutely. Just All go right, with so your phone. Morocco Van Deest, Tyler Lytle, J. 
Jalen Jackson, LaVisca Chenault, Isaiah Lewis, Sebastian Oliver, Nate Landman, Murray Spell. It's good to get a nap in here in the middle of the podcast. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say thirteen. Seventeen. Damn. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll buy you lunch, Tyler. Damn. No, come on. I lost. You can't do it. Those are the, them's the rules. There's a couple I should add. Good. All right. It's time to dive into the Buff Stampede Radio Mailbag, which is presented by the Blake Street Tavern. Located one block north of Coors Field, the Blake Street Tavern has been Denver's premier sports bar since its opening in 2003. The Blake Street Tavern, where the game is always on, the drinks are always full, and the fun never stops. Oli Buff, based on your sources, what recruit did we have to fight over the hardest prior to getting his letter of intent? I'm thinking that he means guys that are verbally committed to, but... Yeah. I would actually even go with a guy that has his signed letter of intent and, and probably go with Javier Edwards. It looked like he was going to Florida for a while, then it looked like he was going to Arkansas. And everybody, I mean, out in Fayetteville, it was like written off that he was coming there, right? Mike McIntyre has that late in home with him, and then just randomly he pops up as a signing for CU. Really quiet kid, so it just seemed like uh, kind of a surprise. That was probably the biggest surprise. Um, I would probably throw Katie Nixon into that mix as well. Everyone sure. was pretty convinced that he was going to flip to Baylor. So those are the two that stand out. Chris Miller, Nate Landman. We'll see how that kind of shakes out those guys. In that yeah, the Landman one was so quiet that it would be hard to put in that same. I mean, the Chris Miller one has been drawn out a little bit longer, so that would definitely be included as well. Dub 925 it seems like Mike McIntyre has a strong bond with his players. Does that come across on the recruiting trail as well? How would you rate his closing ability 1 to 10? So, the thing with Mike McIntyre and the way he recruits, it's more so about showing what we have to offer, mm. showing the, the philosophies, the 4Fs, that stuff, the academic side of things, the facilities. It's, less, it's more about showing than an actual pressure on you sales pitch which is going to work for some kids, and some other kids are going to want that flashy salesman type of head coach. So he's not that. I mean, it's hard to rate him. There's different scales, I think. You would rate him in a, not putting pressure on a kid, but making him feel, yeah. and telling him the truth and being honest with him, the process being very high on that scale, but very low on the scale of just you know, walking in a room saying a bunch of flashy things and then walking out with a commitment. I think what's great about him is he lets other guys do his job. I wouldn't have described him as the closer. I think, I think he lets Darren Cheverini and Clayton Adams play that role more often than not. I mean, obviously they bring him in for in-home visits. He's He seems like more of a big-picture guy to me. Like I wouldn't have actually described him as a guy who was extremely close to his players. I think he does a good job of motivating them and making them believe that as a group they can do things together. But on a personal relationship level, he wouldn't be a guy that I would say, oh, yeah, he's really close with a lot of the kids on the team in the way that you see some coaches are. I think it's actually um, he's super close with the guys he's, because he's not – he will sit down with them and have a give and a take versus – Right, yeah. No, from that perspective, I agree. But it's, I guess it depends on how you're asking the question. Like, I think they have a good relationship back and forth, but it's not – like he's the coach. Like some coaches are – they're friendly with each other, like you know, like Darren Cheverini is more. He's more of one of the one of the guys. 
I don't think that's the relationship that I see Mike McIntyre having with his players. If that was the question. Yeah. Buff Predictor asked, when was the last time we saw so many recent JC additions who could start as, in, as anticipated with Wigley, Javier Edwards, and Chris Malumba? You could really look two years ago with Jordan Carroll, Afaleba, Luguda, Leo Jackson, Blake Robbins in that class. Of course, Blake Robbins, we know how that story ends. But it's, it's tough to answer this question because there's a with Dante Wigley, Javier Edwards, and Malumba, there are certain expectations, but until they show up during spring ball, it's hard yeah, to know. Yeah, you just never know. I mean, the Juco guys, you think you have an idea, but sometimes it doesn't play out that way. Um, yeah, most of the classes previous to you have had two guys that come in and had an immediate impact. Um, but if you add also the early enrollees, we've, I'm, as far as I know, we've never had a class like this that we've had so many new faces available in January. Yeah, they had four JUCO signings last year. I mentioned the four back in 2015. They had Akella Witherspoon and Wyatt Tucker-Smith, who was a long snapper for two years in 2014. And then just one in his first kind of transition class with Jordan Gerke. So that's, uh, if you can include the guys, the JUCO guys this year, with the guys that they landed the previous four years, that's 16 junior college guys in five years. Certainly, to Buff Predictor's point, uh, a big jump in terms of junior Especially college. Especially in the last two classes, for sure. A couple things have helped with that. There was the one where the NCAA put some of the res- more restrictions on what you what are transferable from JUCOs to mm-hmm. other FBS schools. And then uh, Katie Basin, the director of football uh uh, academics for CU has been big help in this regard. Going through all those transcripts, figuring out who they can get in—that's no—that's a tall task. That takes yeah, a lot I think of time. there's just been more of a focus of finding guys that they can get in. I mean, there's always been that kind of that built-in excuse of oh, our requirements are too high, so no one's ever really looked that hard. I mean, we're not finding most of these kids aren't at junior colleges that are local to here. Obviously, there are none local to Colorado that play football, but in the general region. A lot of them are all over the place. The South, um, we have, we've had a few in California um, throughout the years as well. I think a couple in Texas maybe even. Uh, so, you know, they, they have to go out there and find these guys. It's it's uh, quite the process if you actually want to make that commitment. I, don't, I just don't think the previous staffs really wanted to work that hard to find JUCO kids. Yeah. And you got to f- strike the perfect balance in there. This year you take five, which is... I think on the high end of what you really want to do there, of course, because of losing eight defensive right, starters. Right, yeah, you, have, you need to have a more immediate impact. So I, I don't think most years will take five. Um, but I think two to three is pretty reasonable. You'll see a lot of that. Yeah, unless there's big gaps. You, you don't want to take five for the reason that it can sometimes disrupt a locker room. When you've got younger guys that feel like they're progressing their way up the depth chart and then you just bring in a bunch of JUCOs. It was, you know, as much flack as Kansas State and Bill Snyder get for that, it's pretty amazing that they could take as many JUCOs as they did and keep that locker room intact, mm-hmm. you know, and actually have success with all those JUCOs coming in every year. That's a really tough dynamic. Moving along here, Nippus13, which JUCO player in this class made the biggest impression on you both when seeing them in person? I guess what I'm looking for is which player is not what you expected in a good way. I have not, we have neither of yeah. us have seen any of these guys in yeah. person because mm-hmm. uh, they didn't go to camps as JUCO guys. So I guess uh, definitely answer that after spring practices. The guy I'm kind of is the wild card here is Chris Malumba. He's yeah. the only two-star guy in this class. He didn't play football last year. He redshirted. Did really well uh, back in 2015. Led the team in tackles. It's a guy that's a black belt in judo. He's from Finland. Yeah, I mean, There's a lot of weird 
different things about him that I want to see him in person for sure. Yeah, I think the hope is that he will have a similar impact to what KB and Ento did this year. I mean, a guy who came in who was really, most people are just like, ah, we're wasting our time with this kid. KB and Ento is a good football player. Helped this team. I think if Malumba can kind of come in and be a similar depth piece on a, obviously the line has less depth than the wide receivers. I mean, it, um, in, you know, if it wasn't this year or the year before, I would say KB and Ento would have played a ton of minutes for this team in previous years. So I think if you can, if Malumba shows up and is as ready to play as KB and Ento was, he's going to surprise some people for sure. Buffnick asked, or had this comment here, we often overlook how much recruiting for 2018 and 2019 happens during the January period since we're so focused on National Signing Day for 2017. So you offered a lot of guys for future classes these past few weeks, and this was the fl- uh, last time on the road until spring. Any offers for the future that stand out? Who are the in-state prospects we Buff fans should know about for 2018-2019? It's a really good point, and that I think the average college fan that doesn't follow recruiting super closely thinks they're out on the road just doing in-home visits, whereas they're really setting the groundwork for the future. Good point there. One thing in my job is I'm tailoring to the readers, and the readers are interested in how they're closing out the right. 2017 class. So mm-hmm. that's where most of my focus has been. Kyle McCall does a good job on our board of bringing up the new offers and throwing some clips out there and stuff. And so we'll jump full force in that 2018 stuff right after signing day. There are a few guys to throw out there. Um, well, in, in first off, there's three 2018 prospects that are already on the Buffs commitment list, of course. Blake Stenstrom from Valor Christian, Ray Robinson from Highlands Ranch, and then uh, Walker Culver, interesting guy from Tennessee. I know that's not what Buff Nick's looking for. He wants some, some other guys. Uh, Jamon Green, four-star cornerback prospect from DeSoto. If you watch yeah. that state championship game, was one of the best players on the field. He's got a twin brother. Twin brother, right? That was hurt most of this year and is a yeah. lower-rated kid right now that I think Colorado's looking at as well. And uh, those, so those guys have visited Colorado a couple times now, and you, you signed two guys from DeSoto. You mm-hmm. hope that starts a pipeline. That's one guy to keep an eye on. Kyle McCall actually submitted an article to me on Josh Giants. He's a big offensive guard prospect from DeSoto that we're going to have up on the site later this week. I just decided to wait until after signing day on that. One other name, Kirby Bennett, a four-star yeah. running back. He moved from Texas to play at Bishop Gorman in Vegas. He's actually getting lacrosse offers, too, which if you're a lacrosse school, why are you wasting your time? Yeah. I'm pretty sure he's going to play football, right? Yeah. Um, and he's expressed pretty strong interest in the bus. He actually sent out this tweet earlier this month that read, I remember when I had nothing and Coach Chevrini took a chance on me. I thank him till this day. Never forget who believed in you first. Hashtag see you in 18. Pretty yeah, strong endorsement. Good. Yeah, he's definitely got some big-time interest. I also, I'm pretty sure I saw a tweet from him recently that said he's now the number one ranked running back in the West. Okay. So, obviously a big-time guy that you will want to keep an eye on. I was just going to throw out a couple in-state kids because he mentioned that too. Yep. Um, I think it's a little bit of a smaller class in terms of D1 kids for Colorado this year, but Adrian Jackson obviously is a 18 that's going to have offers from pretty much anywhere. He almost does already. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then another guy that the staff has looked at pretty heavily that hasn't been talked about much this year, but I think I think he ended up getting an offer earlier in the year is Max Borgie. He did not get an offer, was really close to getting an offer, but he had that ACL injury, so we'll see how he bounces back from them. He, to me, is the most intriguing in-state prospect. 
He's obviously undersized. He's kind of that slot back type like a Katie Nixon. Maybe not to that right. elite level, obviously. Mm-hmm. The staff well, loved him, though, before yeah, injuries. Yeah. So I think he's a guy that you'll want to keep an eye on, assuming he bounces back. Yeah, for sure. Um, a guy that played at Pomona before transferring, Ezekiel Kreps, a talented offensive lineman that had an offer from Colorado earlier. We'll see if they continue to recruit him. He transferred high schools. Chad Muma, a safety from Legend, has an offer from CSU already. Uh, so, th- yeah, those are the, the main in-state guys so far. It was interesting because 2017, early on, looked like this. it was going to be this amazing in-state recruiting class. Mm-hmm. And as the process kind of went along... Yeah, we found out some of those guys were a little bit overhyped, maybe. Right. Um, it, di- it didn't pan out quite like we had hoped, for sure. Right now, today, 2018 in-state doesn't look amazing, at least from a depth standpoint, but you never know. These spring evaluation period, camp season starts up. Yeah, and people always seem to pop up and you're like, wow, that kid looks like a pretty talented player. So we'll, we'll see. Um, you know, you, we'll find somebody, I'm sure, in these summer camps that we always get to attend. MF Buff asked... Are we still on any kickers? Are we in on any kickers for the 2018 campaign? So the thing there is, on one hand, you want to see what Davis Price does this mm-hmm. spring. On the other hand, you're not going to sign a kicker with 2017. But so many guys, in, in terms of kicking recruiting, kind of slip through the cracks and don't get a scholarship. And you can bring those kids on campus. I'm kind of surprised. I know Davis Price was a walk-on. I'm probably kind of surprised they don't get more haven't had more high-quality kicker walk-ons just because of the altitude thing. I mean, yeah. I know it's not a huge thing, but it's still something. Yeah, I mean, plus Mason Crosby. I mean, you know, people recognize that name as being from Colorado. It should have some impact as well. Uh, they did offer the punter from IMG. I want to say I saw that somewhere within the last month or so. I don't know if they offered him. Is it a walk-on? Or? No, he's a 2018 guy, so oh, okay. I don't know how far into the process they got. But, yeah, he's there was a... Sparaco retweeted something about their punter being recruited by Colorado somewhere okay. along the way. So I, I, guess, I, I, I guess the answer is yes. Early stages, though. Yeah. There's some things we get questions about all the time that kind of like rub me the wrong way, like throwing to the tight end thing. It's like if you don't have a tight end that gets the ball, you're not going to throw them. This one, though, I totally understand why you asked that question after watching their place kicking and the adventure it was. And um, You know, the stats actually... I don't have them in front of me. When you, you pull up their place kicking stats from last year, they're not as bad as they they seem. Like when you remember the season, and yeah, you remember the Stanford game. It was they kind of like leveled out. I would say over the last four or five games of the year, like it wasn't as dramatic. it wasn't good. No, it wasn't good for sure. But it, it, there, it was a, in the middle of the season. It seemed like it was a complete disaster. Um, Stanford is the game you go back to. Yeah, Stanford was bad. I Mo- feel like there was one other one too. Sideline money gate going on there. Yeah, that was. Yeah, which game? That was a home game, so that wasn't Stanford. No, that was Stanford. Oh, really? It was on the okay. road. Yeah. Okay. For some reason, I thought that was a home game that happened. No, I remember it vividly, and I remember like watching Alex Kinney kick into the net and seeing the worst body language of anyone I've ever seen. He was just clearly not interested in having that responsibility. So, good times. 10 to 5, what a game. (laughs) (laughs) Elrod, 62-36. The 62-36, definitely a little more entertaining than 10 to 5. He asked, will CU fans ever be happy? Seriously. The Buffs just accomplished an unthinkable feat, worst to first, and the 2017 class will be ranked at least twice as good as any class during the McIntyre era. 
and yet there's still skepticism in threads, Twitter, etc. The CU fan base has a loyal, knowledgeable core, but some fans are insufferable with their crazy expectations after the previous decade of losing. Lou, you're my spirit animal. That's my comment. So, <laughs> the one comment I'll make here is that a lot of times with Twitter, message board, there can be a vocal minority, a couple posters that just, whether they're trolling or they really feel that way and they just have like an agenda and they just can't let it go, they keep bringing up threads and they kind of derail threads and that's how kind of that perception I think sometimes can take in there. I would say 98% of our subscribers have a reasonable takes. It's sometimes that 2% that can drive things out of whack. Do you not agree? That is a high number. <laughs> I do, I do 80, think you're 80, right about 80%? the vocal minority. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Somewhere in between those two, I would say. Okay. Most, yeah, I mean, you're always going to have those people, I guess. It just, it just blows my mind, honestly, that, like, the thread the other day, I think it was Buck Predictor that started it, I was like, well, this is a good or not great class or something to that effect. And it's like, yeah, that's correct, but we finished with, like, the 71st best class in the country last year, like... This is not how it works. You don't go from 71st to 5th in one year. That's not a thing that happens. So why are we even, like, harping on this? That's a realistic, you know, like, to even jump up 40 spots is insane. So why are we complaining about it? I really just don't see the concept behind it. I mean, there are, there are 15 programs every single year that you know for a fact we're not recruiting better than. You could say that in every single year, no matter what. A lot of the schools in the SEC, USC, UCLA, probably Washington and Stanford as well, teams that we're just not going to pass up in that regard. So, you know, there's nothing wrong with finish, finishing 30th in recruiting rankings after going 10-4. and four. I mean, that's you have to have some realistic expectations about what other teams around the country are doing. We're not going to out-recruit Ohio State and Alabama. That's not a thing that's going to happen. We got a lot of spring ball-ish questions on, for the mailbag, too. I'd say it's better for us to get to those later after we've seen a little spring ball. Yeah, we'll get more. practice. And we wanted to make this more of a recruiting show anyways, honestly. We have one more question to close out our mailbag. It's a basketball-related question, and then we'll get into a little basketball talk. Obviously a big home sweep for the Buffaloes against the Oregon schools. Before we do that... Got to say, I mean, you definitely have to tune into BuffStampede.com on signing day. We've got, we're going to have a video on every signee, kind of breaking down their game, showing highlights. We're going to, of course, be on top of all these signing day announcements that we kind of previewed earlier in the show. We, uh, we're going to have a Buff Stampede war room at an undisclosed location in Boulder. Undisclosed, yeah. I guess if uh, <laughs> somebody out there wants to bring us lunch, we can disclose that location. No, we can't. Can, too many people go there. It's a quiet space. We can have a couple people hang out with us <laughs> if they bring us food. All right. We'll invite some folks. So I'm looking forward to it. The old uh, 4.30 a.m. wake-up call on signing day is my tradition. Yep. So it's I got to work the night before, so I'll probably just stay up. Oh, wow. You're going to pull it on yeah, there? I, I have to pretty much. I, I close Tuesday night. so What time do you get off? I'll probably be home by 3.30. So, I mean, maybe I won't wake up at 4.30 if I do go to sleep, but by 7.00. So I might yeah. as well just stay up, probably. All right. The caffeine will be uh, flowing aplenty. Yeah, I mean, I do day. close Wednesday night, too, so maybe that's not a great idea. 
I might have to find some time to sleep in there somewhere. <laughs> Maybe we'll get you a little cot in the yeah, world. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> and we'll just, I'll just, Tyler, will you comment? Just me snoring. <laughs> <laughs> Good idea. All right, let's get into some basketball talk here. Let's lead it off with a question by Nippus13. Tyler, he asks, any faith that this year's team squeaks a Pac-12 tourney championship? Not trolling, but that's really the last hope we can hope for, right? I'm going to build off that question. You answer that question, Tyler, but I want to kind of build on that too, and I want to know what your revised goal for this team from the CU fan base should be. Okay, um, no, it's not realistic for this team to win the Pac-12 tournament. Um, there are three really good teams in this league right now. Oregon, obviously who we just beat, uh, Arizona and UCLA. Having You're going to have to go through all of those teams probably, or at least two of them, in order to win the conference tournament. I don't think we're good enough to do that. So it is probably our last hope to get to the NCAA tournament, tournament right now, or at least pretty damn close. I mean, the, the, the margin is extremely slim for, for this team right now, obviously starting conference play 0-7 and, and now 2-7. and 7. Um so I don't think that's reasonable. They haven't proven to be able to win on the road either, um, or neutral, really. So, I mean, the best team they've beaten neutral or on the road this year is Texas, who's not very good. So until that changes, the expectations probably shouldn't be that they're going to win four in a row in Vegas. Um, and then is that every is that his entire question? I'm going on to you now. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so yours was, what's my revised Go. What? What's the, what's the if, goal? If you're a CU fan and you don't want to drive yourself crazy, yeah, but you want to enjoy this, what what are you hoping for? Yeah, I mean, I certainly wouldn't hold out a bunch of hope for the NCAA tournament right now. They would probably have to lose one game down the stretch to even make it a possibility. They play at Oregon, so you they'd have to sweep Stanford, Cal on the road. They'd have to beat Oregon State on the road, and they'd also have to beat Washington, Washington State, Utah, Stanford, and Cal at home. Um, Yes, we played well against Oregon, but I still think it's unrealistic to expect us to make that kind of run down the stretch. Um, I would say the revised goal would be to finish outside or uh, to avoid being in the bottom four of the conference. Uh, I think actually that's pretty realistic. We have a pretty um, light schedule down the stretch, and there are some bad teams in the bottom half of the league. And the problem is, of course, we lost Arizona State, Washington, and Washington State already, uh, but I. I know it's going to be weird to say, but I think we're better than all three of those teams. Uh, we lost them all on the road in close games. Oregon State, you feel pretty comfortable with us um, finishing ahead of them, so you have to pass those three teams as well. Um, Washington State is 4-5 and five in league right now, so kind of surprisingly. So we'll see how that um, works on. But I think if they could finish, I think the goal should be to finish 7th, get out of that 8-9 second round matchup with whoever wins the conference. Um, I think that's a pretty realistic goal. You probably have to finish 8-10 and 10 to do that, so you would have to finish 6-3 and three down the stretch. Uh, I do think that's realistic. If you have five home games, you have Oregon State on the road. Those are six games you give yourself a chance to win. And, and I think if they split Stanford-Cal this upcoming week, that becomes even more realistic. So I think that's the goal right now is to finish 8-10 and 10 in league play. And then with players, of course, you want to see Bryce Peters continue to have more games like he did against Oregon State, his best game as a buff. Kind of get that confidence going because he's got the ability. And another guy that needs the confidence is Lucas Seward. He sees a three fall in in each of those last two home games, which is going to be, I think, big for him. And I've said it all along. He just needs to see some of those shots fall in because he's, he makes them at a very high percentage in practice. Yeah, and it was nice to see. He's shown a lot of effort in the last two games as well, diving on the floor for loose balls. 
Uh, just seems like he's a little more comfortable out there. Earlier in the year, he just looked like he was trying to get through his four-minute stretch without making any mistakes, which is not not a good way to play Division One basketball. Um, and he's got to put the ball in the hoop because defensively he's going to struggle until he gets more used to this level. So, yeah, he's got to um, actually be productive on the offensive end of the floor. So it was, I was really happy for him to see him actually have some productive minutes each of the last two games. So hopefully that can continue moving forward. All right. So that home sweep, you look back to the Oregon State game, not a very good defensive effort. It was a, a decimated Oregon State team with injuries, not a talented team, really. You're on your home court. The only thing you really take away from that is, I mentioned Peters had a good game, and the fact that you just got that monkey off your back. Yeah, it found a way to not lose the game. <laughs> right, right. But then the Oregon game, just completely different. You're going against a very talented team, a team that for whatever reason can't beat you in your home building. And just the body language of the guys was just just different in that game. Yeah, the defensive effort um, was considerably different than what we've seen throughout conference play so far this year. Honestly, it made me a little bit frustrated. This is why Tad runs his system the way that he does. I, I wouldn't say they played overly well offensively. I mean, Derek White had a good game, but outside of that, no one really was impressive throughout the game. They just tried on defense and actually had some pride and wanted to stop the guy in front of them. Um, Josh Fortune, who was a guy that we expected to be the defensive stopper for this team, despite his offensive struggles, he's been awful on defense the last five or six games. He was tremendous in that Oregon game. Was locking guys down all over the place, had a couple huge deflections, uh, really walled off the interior, wasn't allowing guys to just walk into the paint for easy layups or kicking out to wide open threes. He did a fantastic job in the second half especially. That's the type of effort that you need to win basketball games in the Pac-12 and they haven't shown much of that this year. Um, I don't know why they suddenly decided that that was something that they were going to do against a team like Oregon, but if they had played like that in the rest of their conference games, they would probably have five wins right now. I say let kids be kids. I don't mind fans rushing the court. I'm never going to use the hashtag SCOBuffs, but if people <laughs> want to do that, hey, enjoy it, do it, whatever. But anytime the overrated chant gets started, I just want to scream and <laughs> strangle people. Yeah, I don't, I don't love it either, for sure. Um, it wasn't even that long, but it was, you could even hear it on the TV broadcast. Yeah, it's just one of those things that it's just like, it's just piercing to the opponent. So it does make you look bad as well, because you're just diminishing what you've accomplished. But at the same time, like, it's just frustrating to the team to hear someone say that about you, you know? So, so I, I understand guess. it to some degree, but yeah. By and large, it's not my favorite thing in the world. I don't mind the court rush, though. I mean, it's a top 10 team, and... This it was season, a pretty weak court rush, season, but it was, for sure. But this season has been such a disappointment. Like, yeah, it's I, whatever. I understand. Yeah. So there's this upcoming road trip for the Ted Boyle basketball team to the Bay Area. Stanford on Thursday at 9 p.m. Mountain Time. Another day where you got to get that nap in. Cal on Sunday at 2.30 p.m. What does that make me sound really old? No, I'm just, <laughs> no, I'm just saying you're right. I, I'm off Thursday, though, so okay. I'll be able to watch that one. You're going to need to catch up on your sleep, though, yeah. on signing day. Yep. Cal on Sunday at 2.30 p.m. Mountain Time. Uh, obviously, uh, two winnable games. Yeah, the Cal one is going to be tough. Um, they're playing pretty well right now. They're 6-3 and three in league. Uh, they're usually pretty good at home. We've we've struggled at Cal traditionally. I hate the camera angle um, too. Yeah, uh, it's just so high Absolutely. up. It just looks really <laughs> it's awkward. Yeah, it's weird. Um, the Stanford one. I mean, we're not going to be favored in either game. 
But the Stanford one, if if you want to give this fan base any hope for a postseason bid, not NCAA tournament, but NIT, you got to get one of these two. Stanford one is the more reasonable of the two. I think they've kind of played outside of their depth a little bit so far this year. Uh, they're kind of coming back to earth a little bit. I think they're three and six in league. I want to say right now they played a ridiculous schedule, uh, ridiculously tough schedule. So they have that going for them. But I think we can get Stanford. I would be surprised if we beat Cal. All right. Anything else we need to talk about men's basketball wise? I mean, you know, it's just nice to see them kind of be alive. It made me feel a little less crazy about <laughs> how I felt like this team could perform this year. Uh, but definitely disappointing to see it happen after how we played the remainder of the year. Do you think it's was just as simple as them wanting to beat a top 10 team, knowing that was one of the yeah, last they, opponents? Or is it something you think they can they can duplicate that energy against a lesser team? I mean, you, obviously you can duplicate that energy. It's just a matter of are they going to. Um, we've kind of seen this all year. They've played fairly well against the better teams in their schedule. Um, haven't found a way to win a lot of the games. But competing really well. I mean, the Notre Dame game was a great game. Arizona, I thought the second half they played really well. Um, UCLA, they played fantastic. UCLA just shot unconscious. There's not much you can do about that. Uh, it's just the other games the team, the, against the teams that have lesser talent that we just can't seem to show up for. All right. Fun show. Get a little uh, tidbits on uh, who likes maple donuts. <laughs> so... Uh, Lots to uh, cover still in the next few days, so stay tuned to BuffStampede.com. And, of course, on Sunday, we're going to have uh, wire-to-wire coverage. Looking forward to it. Thanks for tuning in.